Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Five. Come to Planet Normal for attitudes not allowed in the workplace since 1978. Four. There is no political party other than Reform UK that actually stands to make policy for British national interests and with the interests of British people in mind. This now is looking potentially like Britain's Watergate. My parting shot is this, Sir Alan Bates. Go on, Rishi, do it. Welcome once again to Planet Normal, the Telegraph podcast with Alison Pearson. Happy New Year. And me, Liam Halligan. It is 2024. The British workforce, what's left of it, is back at work and the kids are back at school. And after our Christmas break, during which Alison ate too much cake, we'll hear more about that later, (laughs) your loyal co-pilots are here to relaunch the Planet Normal rocket of right thinking, your sanctuary of sweet reason, your flying refuge of reasoned views. And just in time... Because politics has started this year with a bang, as Tory Green campaigner Chris Skidmore resigned, sparking yet another awkward by-election for his former party. And if that wasn't enough, Rishi Sunak faces the prospect of getting his Rwanda legislation designed to tackle the small boats crisis through the House of Commons. This could prove tricky, to say the least. Given the divisions on his own backbenches, those Tory tribes gearing up once again for rhetorical war. And aside from all that... We need to talk about the post office and the Horizon scandal, which has burst into the public's consciousness as a result of that powerful television drama, well worth watching and now streaming for free on ITV.com. It's a story that's been knocking around for years, and both Alison and I have written and broadcast in the past about the atrocious treatment meted out to innocent sub-postmasters accused of theft, some of whom were jailed, others who committed suicide hundreds of whom lost their reputations and livelihoods due to the failings of the post office's precious Horizon IT system supplied by Fujitsu. It's a massive scandal. And finally, the political class as a whole is paying attention. You've written powerfully about Horizon Allison again in Wednesday's Telegraph, and we'll put the link in the show notes to that episode. But before we wade into that story, tell us about your New Year's resolutions. How long did they last? Dry January, damp January. There's that period, isn't there, between Boxing Day and New Year where you find yourself eating Christmas pudding, turkey and a glass of Baileys for breakfast. For breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, the Twix of us, it gets a bit squalid. So I thought to get my blood sugar under control, because I have got diabetes in my family, I thought I'd go on this Zoe Harkham diet. Now, it's absolutely excellent, Liam. Like all the diets, it's Zoe Harkham says you can eat everything you like except anything you'd like to eat, which you're not allowed to eat. And I was doing extremely well. I think I lost about six pounds in the, in the first week. And uh, I think my body went into shock from not having a Kit Kat 
little bit of a slip yesterday. Whenever I'm writing, whenever I'm writing the Telegraph column, my brain says, where's the sugar? Where's the sugar? But anyway, get healthy and try and pace myself a bit better. Because as you know, I get I get in a little bit of a tiz sometimes, don't I? So hold on, you write your column on a Tuesday. The month didn't even get into double digits. <laughs> <laughs> it was still the 9th of January. <laughs> Don't draw attention to it. I'm not proud of it. Back on the wagon today. Lots of lots of bottles of water around me here. No open bottles of Baileys. Yeah. No. How about you? What's your resolution? I think my resolution is to try and be happy. I think that life is short. As I get a bit longer in the tooth, I realise the reality of that. Many Planet Normal listeners, I'm sure, will agree. You just got to try and make the most of every day. That's my news resolution. Very good. And be a bit nicer to your co-pilot. No, steady on. (laughs) People only tune in, as Nicholas Parsons said. Tune in, stay tuned, to hear me abusing you gently in a sort of lightly mocking, (laughs) patronising tone. It it empowers so many men around the country who live with strong women, who probably their intellectual superior. (laughs) Come to Planet Normal for attitude not allowed in the workplace since 1978. But let's crack into this, you know, this absolutely appalling story and talk about the, as you say, you know, making the most of each day because this post office scandal, which has really started in around 2000 when post office employed Fujitsu to put in an IT system for accounting, which was rolled out, obviously, to all the post offices around the country, these little hubs of their community and quite rapidly some problems started showing up and a lovely guy called Alan Bates who had a little post office in North Wales which he plunged his savings into lots of these people Liam they're not wealthy they've just you know put a bit by and the post office is a kind of lovely job to make a good living for their family and Alan who had actually worked in IT so he was better equipped than most to realise that there was something wrong with the accounting system, which kept indicating that there were shortfalls when indeed there weren't. And post office, because these are, they're run like businesses, these post offices. They're not the big city centre post offices, which are called crown post offices, I've learned yesterday. And they have got post office employees. And none of them, Liam, were affected by this Horizon scandal. So that's another question to add to our long list of questions. But Alan realised that there was this problem with the software and he drew attention to it and that wasn't welcome because it was a very expensive system which I think we can probably venture a lot of people had a vested interest in it being a success let's put it like that and what happened in the first week of January is we saw as you say there's been a lot of coverage of it notably in Private Eye, which has done remarkable campaigning work. We've had a BBC podcast. We've had books and magazine articles, Computer Weekly as well. And we had this ITV drama written by Gwyneth Hughes, an absolutely expert screenwriter called Mr. Bates versus the Post Office. And what the drama succeeded in doing was really driving home the human cost 
the appalling, unfolding tragedy. To me, the series, it was like an Ealing comedy written by Franz Kafka, because you had this very gentle, slightly bucolic settings of these post offices, lovely people, normal people working, you know, planet normal citizens, indeed, Liam, you know, working behind the counter, mm. and then blinking under the kind of cosy post office counter was this wretched horizon system blinking like a sort of malevolent alien that was devouring these ordinary people. Because they've got to make up these shortfalls themselves and the shortfalls of thousands, tens of thousands of pounds, life-changing sums. Life-changing sums and, and, well, many things struck me. It was full of wonderful performances. Monica Dolan was playing Joe Hamilton, just a lovely postmistress from a Hampshire village who was the heart and soul of a community. The vicar at her trial, Liam, said she was more of a priest to the village mm. than the vicar was. The old ladies and the old gentlemen trusted Joe so much that they gave her their pin codes so she could help them with their pensions and their financial affairs. Basically the absolute backbone of Britain, just a good person. And she was destroyed by you know being told. In fact, there's a scene in the drama, which I know you've watched, where... Joe is looking at the sort of deficit she's got on the screen. She's on the helpline to the post office saying, you're the only one who's reported this. Lie number one. There are thousands, but that was lie number one. And Joe says, oh, my God, the deficit has just doubled. You actually see it doubling. I mean, lie number two was that Fujitsu said that only the postmaster or mistress could access the account. And that just wasn't true. But it took many years for that fact. Anyway, just hope many listeners have uh, watched Mr. Bates versus the Post Office, or you can indeed go and find it. And why is it? Obviously, it's galvanised politicians, shame-faced politicians who've done bugger all for years, letting this process drag on. Of the hundreds of people who lost their post offices, so far only 93 cases, I mean, have been overturned. These upstanding men and women have criminal records. In fact, in one terrible scene, Jo Hamilton goes to her grandchild's primary school Mm. to help out with making some party hats. And the teacher has to tell her that she's not allowed to be alone with the children because she has a criminal record. And that's the least of it. They were, as you say, taking their lives. Many were sectioned, Liam, sectioned because of nervous breakdowns. Mm. Imagine the horror of not being believed, of knowing that you haven't got the £60,000 they say you've got. So anyway, what the immediate aftermath, a petition was calling for Paula Venels, um, CEO of the post office for six of the years during which this was going on, to have her CBE removed, which indeed she handed it back notionally yesterday, Tuesday, Mm. because we're recording on Wednesday. But that is just the start of it. I'm very concerned that... Venel's doing that will be seen as a sort of sacrificial lamb when what I've said in the column is this now is looking potentially like Britain's Watergate. This goes from the highest offices of government via not just the post office, Fujitsu, enforcers, the legal system, which basically found 900 people guilty when there was no evidence against them. So everywhere we look, I mean, let's unpick it. You tell me now what what your thoughts are and let's just dig down into it because it's just horrible. 
In some ways, it's worse than Watergate because Watergate was one part of the political class stitching another part of the political class up. And that was shocking at the time, the full horror of political shenanigans being revealed and then the cover-up. But this is the establishment meeting out punishment to little people, knowing the little people haven't got the means to fight that punishment in the courts. They can't afford to pay the lawyers, lying to little people. I mean, is there any more true embodiment of decent British people in villages and towns across our country, absolute heartlands across the whole of the UK than local sub-postmasters and sub-postmistresses. You don't do it for the money. You do it because you really care about your community and you want to be at the heart of the community. These people earn modest sums of money while working extremely hard and taking on a lot of responsibility. They are the embodiment of the sort of small platoons that are meant to keep civilised countries together. And I wasn't shocked at the TV drama because I've followed this story for many years. It's a story that's never really quite managed to make it out of the business pages or more detailed publications, specialist publications like Computer Weekly, like Private Eye. It's never really made it into the mainstream news, television news in particular, though I've covered it a lot on GB News over the last couple of years And that is the power of drama. And this is a reminder, Alison, of the power of conventional television and hats off to ITV for doing this because it won't have been seen as an obvious ratings winner. What a drama about a sort of business story between lots of litigious people. Where's the glamour? Where's the role for celebs? Where's the jeopardy? Where's the reality TV? None of those things. This is a very conventional old school program, though brilliantly executed and brilliantly acted. And again, chapeau to ITV for doing it. And this is my concern that it it really is now turning into a story of a gilded class. You captured this in your column. We've been talking about it over the Christmas holidays between us, haven't we? A gilded class that sees itself as completely insulated from the realities of life People that glide effortlessly between top jobs, magic circles of mutually back-scratching appointments committees and remuneration committees. And meanwhile, ordinary people out there are dished out some rum punishment. And that's what the documentary captures in a way that no newspaper column, however brilliantly written, can capture. It really rams home the human misery, families falling to pieces, People committing suicide, kids becoming anorexic, kids being bullied at school because their parents are seen locally as thieves. Absolutely terrible. And it's been known for a long time that there was a problem with this Fujitsu system. And indeed, the government, even after a landmark court ruling back in 2019 that showed that Fujitsu were culpable, even since then, Fujitsu has been awarded another five billion quid of government contracts. I mean, absolutely insane. Any After that court ruling, a single pound of an extra government contract for Fujitsu should have been absolutely linked to compensation for the victims of this terrible, terrible scandal. And that's another aspect of this that's been highlighted. Failure of government procurement over many years. 
what a stark contrast between the mercilessness with which these postmasters and mistresses were treated, essentially told either you're going to go to jail for theft or we can do a kind of plea bargain and you can own up to false accounting instead. Let's make something clear. I think everyone will just about pick this up now. The post office is able to bring its own criminal prosecutions. So if you'd had local police going in and saying to someone like Joe Hamilton, what have you done with the £36,000? Quite clearly, she didn't have it. She hadn't stashed it away. She hadn't bought a nice car. It was nonsense. It was like a phantom pregnancy, Liam. It didn't Mm. exist. But one, again, let's look at line number three. So what we're looking at now is all these hundreds of people were accused of false accounting. But who was doing the false accounting? Because hundreds of postmasters paid back to the post office money which they hadn't taken. And these went into these accounts in the post office, just held in these accounts. And we've had loads of emails from listeners saying, what are the auditors doing? Because essentially, the post office couldn't possibly account, literally account for Mm. the money that they took from ordinary men and women. So I would say at the very least, we are definitely, we absolutely have to have criminal proceedings, starting with false accounting, taking money on false pretenses. And just to give you a little tiny insight, I mean, this story is full of novelistic detail. So today, Wednesday in the House of Commons, Rishi Sunak has promised a law that will discharge everybody who has been found guilty, which is to be welcome, and an upfront payment, Liam, of £75,000 for the vital group of postmasters who originally brought the case against the post office because there's been such a delay getting any compensation to them. We've also seen it, of course, with the infected blood story. £75,000 to people who have been run over by the state. Toby Jones in Mr Bates, Alan Bates, playing Alan Bates, says, we're fighting a war against an enemy owned by the British government using the money of the British people. We are just the skint little people. So an offer today of £75,000 to the victims of this appalling, the widest miscarriage of justice in British history. And how much was Paula Venels earning when she was the CEO of the post office? £85,000 a week. So let's think about that. They're being offered these guys, men and women, whose lives have been ruined. The maximum they seem to be being offered is 600,000. Paula Fennels was given the CBE in 2019. This is 19 years after this scandal started. Let's have lie number four. Who thought it was a good idea to give that woman one of our most senior honours? She had earned over six years, 3.7 million pounds, including salary and bonuses, which absolutely unbelievably, she continued to receive bonuses as the Horizon IT scandal was depriving submasters of their jobs, their savings, their homes, their families, and their sanity. And Paula Venels was going out saying, sub-postmasters who were dealing with these terrifying arrears, that the system was absolutely accurate and reliable. And my least favourite word, Halligan, in the world, robust. 
there's a lot swirling around. You can probably hear it's made me very, very upset. You mentioned that um, Paula Venables was given a CBE in 2019. I think Alan Bates should get a CBE <laughs> yes. or even a knighthood because as is absolutely clear from stuff Computer Weekly has been reporting for years and is exemplified in the drama documentary that ITV have produced, he was absolutely pivotal. And 2019, when Paula Venables got her CBE, that same year, the Court of Appeal, there's no doubt about this, the Court of Appeal found that Fujitsu's Horizon system did contain bugs and errors that resulted in branches being wrongly flagged as suffering shortfalls, shortfalls which individual sub-postmasters and sub-postmistresses then had to make up from their own savings and the savings of their friends and relatives. Absolutely crazy. The following year, 2020, then Prime Minister Boris Johnson launched a public inquiry that's ongoing. It's now 2024, and there's still this madness outstanding, which just goes to show you the unmatched ability of the British state and the broader establishment to drag things out unless the media are constantly kicking them up the backside to not drag things out. Something that listeners have drawn my attention to today is that in the last few years, with this public inquiry going on, the post office, far from being repentant, has constantly, at the last minute, produced new tranches of documents to delay proceedings. And they have done that three times in the last two years. So that's what they're doing. And do you know what, Bafin? This is why I was going to say earlier, really, that it's not just that obviously the drama was incredibly moving and devastating and so on. It's that this has tapped in, I think, to this, as you identified earlier, this deeper feeling that something's going very wrong. The ordinary person is not being heard Just let's think about the fact that the Minister for Postal Affairs during some of that period was the now Sir Ed Davey, leader of the Liberal Democrats, and Alan Bates, who had founded Justice for Postmasters Alliance, and because they were all told, you're on your own, you're the only one complaining. And Alan was able to find about 500 of them to whom this dreadful thing had happened. So they formed a kind of caucus to campaign. And Alan wrote to Ed Davey um, when he was in government saying, please, can we have a meeting? This terrible thing is going on on your patch. And Ed Davey said that he didn't think a meeting would be fruitful um, because of the nature of the relationship between government and the post office. And he said that he wanted to have an arm's length relationship with the post office, which should have been in a supervisory capacity of. just want to read this to listeners. Alan Bates replied, it is precisely because you have adopted an arm's length relationship that you have enabled the post office to carry on with impunity, regardless of the human misery and suffering that they inflict. And he urged Ed Davey not to simply listen to civil servants, nor to act without questioning the post office's claims. And over the last few days, listeners will have seen that Ed Davey is now claiming that the post office was, quotes, lying on an industrial scale to me. Well, that's not really an excuse. But if they were lying on an industrial scale to him, what are the names of the people who were lying to him? And this really is the kicker, Liam, because Ed Davey, when he left government, was hired as a political consultant 
by the top law firm Herbert Smith Freehills, which was acting for, guess who, co-pilot? The post office. The post office. And that's state money, Alison. That 275 grand is state money. He was paid £833 per hour, amassing a grand total of £275,000 using the knowledge about the post office that he had gleaned during his time as a minister to use against the ordinary men and women whose representative he had chosen not to meet. I must say, I don't think the reality of that payout from the law firm to the leader of the Liberal Democrats has properly landed in the public consciousness yet. And I think as and when it does, his position, and I don't say this lightly, will actually probably become very precarious, maybe even untenable. The bloke was the minister in charge of the post office at this time of high drama, at a time when a lot of the press, not just you know, with all respect, more specialist publications, but mainstream newspapers like The Telegraph were reporting what was going on. And then he refuses to meet, certainly he refused the early overtures from Alan Bates to meet. And then he goes and gets loads of money from a law firm acting for the post office paid for by the taxpayer. I wonder how you could do that in all good conscience. It's just absolutely galling. And the Lib Dems are meant to be the nice party. (laughs) Why should we be surprised? Paula Venels, when she left the post office, was immediately offered the chair of the Imperial College Mm. NHS Trust. She got numerous non-exec directorships. The Church of England had her lined up to be the Bishop of London. I mean, you know, hell, why not make a queen at the same time? Absolutely ludicrous. It's the cronyism carousel, isn't it, Liam? It seems to me in order to be part of the magic circle that gets these plum public sector jobs, it's not about your intellect. It's not about your public service ethic. It seems to be largely about your ability to, frankly, abuse or normal people from a great height and hold your nerve during the subsequent publicity storm, if there is one. I'm being serious. As I said, multiple areas here now. We definitely want to have a police investigation has started into two of the people at Fujitsu. And that's something that so far the focus, hasn't it, Liam, has been on the post office and what was happening there. But also there's this very, very important matter of who knew what in Fujitsu. And in the Mr Bates ITV drama, we saw a union representative going along to the Fujitsu HQ in Bracknell and being shown a room where operatives were indeed going into the live accounts of postmasters. And Fujitsu denied that this guy had ever visited their building. But fortunately, he had an email trail proving it was true. So we are seeing lying on a truly extraordinary scale, including in court. And one of the things that caught my eye, I think, is that several people have said, surely it's common sense, you know, that suddenly there's a huge spike in fraud activity in post offices. Why would that be happening? Oh, look, it coincides with the implementation of a new IT system. Surely to God, common sense 
would have told the post office, Paula Venels, all the Adam Crozier, all those different people. Surely a, a child, Liam, a, a bright 10-year-old could have seen that there must be something wrong with the system. But what I'm going to suggest to you is that there was too much riding on the horizon system. It was vastly expensive. Nobody wanted to know that it was going wrong. It's this institutional obliviousness. And that would be one thing if there weren't hundreds of people having their lives destroyed. But the trouble was, by pretending that it was robust and so on, people's lives were... Sacrificed. Were sacrificed. And, you know, that Alan Bates said, described them as, we are just the skint little people. So I'm wondering also, the other aspect we need to look at now is the judiciary. Why were hundreds of people found guilty when there was zero evidence against them? Something very bad went on. Telegraph's raising the matter of the fact that Sakir Starmer was the director of public prosecutions at that time. You know, it's not entirely clear how many of these cases the CPS had sway over. But something that's occurred to me in the last few days is that the post office using British taxpayers' money, was paying the most expensive lawyers to prosecute people who had had all their savings taken away from them. So they did not have a sort of Rolls-Royce defence. They were sacrificial lambs. We're looking at these number of smoking guns now, aren't we? Not just compensation, not just getting the victims acquitted. Alan Bates pointed out a couple of days ago that 70 of his friends in the movement for justice for postmasters have already died. So there is this vast human harm. But the situation going forward, I I hope, will be very, very uh, wide scale police investigation. And we want to see some of these people in jail. They put Seema Misra, a young Asian postmistress who was pregnant into jail for 15 months for something she didn't do. And Seema said, I was wanted to kill myself because the shame was so great, but I couldn't kill the baby. The whole point of dragging this out, Alison, and I say this with regret, the whole point of all these delays is because a lot of the people due for compensation will die in the meantime. And my parting shot is this, Sir Alan Bates. Go on, Rishi. Do it. Palestinians in Gaza are living through a bombardment that they've never experienced before. Introducing Battle Lines, an original Telegraph podcast. Listen to expert analysis of the Israel-Hamas war. Follow on-the-ground reporting and understand how the conflict is reshaping our world. It's a small country. Everyone knows someone whose relatives have been killed or kidnapped. Things are starting to broaden out from Gaza, from Israel. Listen to Battle Lines every Friday on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. 
That's stamps.com code program. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60. With a general election to look forward to later this year, there is widespread disillusion with the main political parties. True, recent by-elections have seen Labour winning safe Conservative seats, But crucially, there has been little or no increase in the Labour vote. Tory voters have simply sat on their hands and refused to support our so-called Conservative government. Disillusioned Tories have increasingly been finding a congenial home in the Reform Party, led by Richard Tice and presided over by Nigel Farage. Co-pilot, I've been very struck recently by Reform's passionately articulate co-deputy leader, Ben Habib. Following a career in finance, Ben started his own property fund management company in 2000. Until 2019, he was a Conservative Party donor, but bitterly disappointed by the terms agreed with the EU, Ben stood as a candidate for the Brexit Party in the European Union Parliament election, becoming an MEP. He has been consistently outspoken on Brexit betrayals, particularly the Northern Ireland Protocol and the Windsor Framework. Benjamin Habib was born in 1965 in Pakistan to a Pakistani father and a British mother. Family moved to the UK in 1979. Ben was educated at rugby, where he ended up head of school, going on to read natural sciences at Cambridge. In March last year, Ben announced that he had joined Reform UK, formerly the Brexit Party. It has just been announced that Ben Habib will be standing in the forthcoming by-election in Wellingborough. So I began by asking Ben, why should the people of Wellingborough vote for reform? And as absurd as this sounds, there is no political party other than Reform UK that actually stands to make policy for British national interests and with the interests of British people in mind. When you look at the Labour Party and the Conservative Party over the last 25 years, they've increasingly separated themselves away from the people, from democratic processes, progressively imbued power in supranational institutions and so-called domestic independent, uh, for, for which I read unaccountable entities. And That has dumbed down the connection between those who govern us and the people of this country and their interest. Those who govern us seem to be pursuing some kind of global settlement, which they see as the betterment of the globe. But they weren't elected to run the globe. They were elected Mm -hmm. to run the United Kingdom. And the more they seek to run the globe, the less decisions and policies they make in our interests, the more they hollow out the United Kingdom to the point where, correctly, in my view, Suella Braverman, a couple of months ago, described the United Kingdom being on the precipice of an existential threat. And we are. Mm -hmm. And we're not the only Western democracy facing this threat. It seems to have infected most of Western Europe and the United States. And so if we wish for the United Kingdom to secure its position in the world, 
to secure its territories, its borders, to make policies which promote British economic interests, British culture, British values, the English language, all of which, by the way, are interrelated. The culture wars, immigration, the economy, they all have a bearing on each other. If you wish for that agenda, there is only one party for which to vote, and that is Reform UK, because the Conservative Party and Labour Party won't give you that. They're stuck in this kind of globalist mindset, which is in- inherently anti-democratic and anti the interests of the United Kingdom. Your Reform Party has hovered around 10%. What would you say to people who would accuse you of just helping Labour to win a landslide victory? How is that going to advance the cause of the right? And so what I say to people who say, you know, you vote Reform UK and all you do is put Labour into office. Well, if you vote Conservative, all you do is get Labour policies. We're at the end of 13 years, coming up to 14 years of Conservative Party governance, and we have debt at a record high. We have taxes at a record high. We have GDP flatlining, massive government spending. The state is in competition with the private sector for access to capital because so indebted and hungry is it for cash. It's turned its back on all those cultural aspects that I touched on earlier. It's Mm -hmm. allowing the English language to be hijacked by minorities to the detriment of the majority. It has embedded diversity, equality and inclusion to the detriment of the majority of the people in this country. It has promoted immigration as a cheap, quick fix to the labour market problems, embedding again the destruction of the labour, the domestic labour market, making it ever increasingly difficult for British citizens to get well-paid jobs that meet their costs and allow them to live a secure and happy life. And so what I say to people who say, you know, you vote Reform UK, you get Labour, you vote Tory, you get Labour, you vote Labour, you get Labour. Both of them are deeply destructive to the country. We've got to get off this narrative that we know we're bad, but if you vote Labour, you're going to get something even worse. Get off that narrative. We've had 13 years of Conservative government policy, 13 years of failure. Failure must not be rewarded with incumbency. They have to be turfed out. In 2019, Nigel Farage famously stood down the Brexit party from contesting any of the 317 seats that Conservatives had won previously. Do you think there's any chance now that Richard Tice, you, the Reform Party, would come to a similar deal with the Tories in the general election, which is likely to be this autumn? Well, if a deal is done between Reform UK and the Conservative Party, it'll be in breach of every representation and promise made by Richard Tice to me and others who joined him on the principle that we will not stand down. It'll be the surest way to precipitate a number of resignations from the senior most people in Reform UK. We are committed to giving the voters a genuine choice not to act as a weather vane for the Conservative Party, not to act as a mechanism to get them to rediscover their Conservative roots, but as a genuine electoral alternative. And I think we would be doing the people of this country a great disservice if we did any sort of deal with the Conservative Party. So Professor John Curtis, the great pollster, reckons that with Nigel Farage, 
playing a more active leadership role in the party. Reform has been hovering, I don't need to tell you, around sort of 10%, but could go up to over 14%, even higher, a sort of nightmare scenario for the Conservatives. Ben, would you like to see Nigel commit to that role? And what do you think the odds are at the moment that he will do so? I think to be a genuine electoral option, it has to be more than about one man. It has to be about the idea, the policies, the team. You know, we've gone from polling, before I joined the party three years ago, polling at around 2% to 5% three months ago, and now we're polling 10%. And we're doing that partly because the Conservatives are making such a ham-fisted mess of everything, but also partly because I think people are waking up to the genuine alternative of our commonsensical policies. And with or without Nigel, we're going to go on swinging that bat. And I think, I hope and expect that we will see our poll rating rise as we go forward. Why have the Conservatives let the UK down so badly when they were given this terrific mandate, weren't they? The rot was set in by David Cameron, who saw himself as the heir to Blair. And without wishing to go over too much of what Blair did, you know, Blair set in train a huge number of policies and he made decisions which set the UK down the path on which we've been travelling for the last 25 years. And Cameron saw himself as the heir to Blair and he didn't make any changes. Actually, for all their talk of austerity, cutting taxes, deregulating, they didn't do any of that. They went on doing the same thing that was being done by Tony Blair. You stood successfully as a candidate for the Brexit party in the European Union Parliament and as an MEP in January 2020. I know you reluctantly voted in favour of the Brexit withdrawal agreement simply to deliver Brexit, though you did say at the time, Ben, that you had great qualms because of the poor terms agreed with the EU. What are the Brexit benefits that the UK should be getting now but isn't? Well, we've done two fundamentally stupid things, in my view, in, in, in the two agreements that we signed with the EU. So dealing with the withdrawal agreement, the really offensive thing, which I've also been fighting and you know, taken to heart, is the Northern Ireland Protocol. And yeah. I initially took the Northern Ireland Protocol under my wing as my kind of fight, because I could see that for as long as it existed, the United Kingdom would never be free. It was like a grappling hook not just into Northern Ireland, which is where the grappling hook has been rested, but it's like a grappling hook into the entire flesh of the United Kingdom. And the reason I say that is because Northern Ireland is subject to dynamic alignment with EU laws on state aid, VAT, excise duty, and a whole load of other regulatory requirements in order to stay in the single market for European Mm. Union goods, Um, you know, the, the, the European Union customs Uh, the European Union Customs Union. And I find it absolutely offensive and abominable that in order to deliver Brexit, we signed up to putting a border between Great Britain and Northern Ireland, which fundamentally broke the United Kingdom. They're two fundamental things. There may be many other things, but they're two fundamental things that constitute a constitutional union. One is a political and legislative union, and the other is an economic union. And what the border did was to break the legal union with Great Britain and to break the economic union with Great Britain. So that over time, Northern Ireland would end up being pulled into the Republic of Ireland. Ireland would be united. And as Barnier many times said, 
the price of Brexit would be Northern Ireland. For us to get a proper Brexit, we would have to fight the Northern Ireland Protocol. We have committed to non-regression with the EU on matters of state aid, competition, employment and the environment, which, by the way, also includes the inexorable march towards net zero in 2050. Theresa May put that on our domestic statute books, but Boris Johnson committed us to it under international treaty with the EU. Is the British political class addicted to mass immigration and what would the Reform Party do about it? It is. So I I started this interview by explaining how, in my view, Labour Party and Conservative Party believe in kind of some sort of global settlement for governance rather than putting the national interest first. And of course, if you're more into a global settlement, you're not that interested in the nation state. And immigration becomes just another mechanism by which you can deal with your form of governance. They don't see immigration as a threat to the social fabric of the United Kingdom. They don't see multiculturalism practiced in silos as it is in France and the United Kingdom and many other European countries as a threat to social cohesion. They don't care. They're not looking at it. And so they've used immigration as an easy, sticky plaster to deal with a broken labor force that's come about by high taxation, disincentive to work, this progressive socialism that I was talking about. And they've got into a downward spiral of, well, the British workforce isn't dealing with what we need it to deal with because it's overtaxed. And they fixed the problem with, as you've uh, identified, skyrocketing immigration. And they don't really care that it's damaging the social fabric because they don't really care about the social fabric of the country. But moreover, it's also undermining the British worker because the skills-based point system that we were promised wasn't skills-based in the end. They were taking in basically unskilled workers. You know, the minimum wage to get a work visa was set at £26,000 per annum, which is 20 odd percent, 25% below the median wage in the UK. So not only are British workers being overtaxed and disincentivized to work, but actually they're being undercut by this immigration. You are an immigrant yourself. You were born in Pakistan in 1965. Your family came to the UK in 1979, where you attended rugby school, eventually going on to Cambridge University. You were 14, I think, when you arrived here. A decade before you, Salman Rushdie came from India to rugby and experienced racism, which he said he later didn't have at Cambridge, but did experience it at rugby. Was that your experience? Do you believe that there's any truth in our country being institutionally racist? The institution of rugby was absolutely not racist. I went from being unable to speak English properly to being head of school when I left. And Mm. They promoted me all the way through the school to the highest position. And they wouldn't have done that, you know, if they'd been racist. You know, I was in the sort of Midlands at school in in the late 70s. And let's face it, there was some racism. And you were half Pakistani, weren't you? Oh, the P word was bandied around by the boys on occasion and not by the establishment. And I will tell you absolutely hand on heart, Alison, that the boys were not racist. They may have called me Paki. They were not Mm. racist. Can we move on to something that we've become increasingly concerned about on Planet Normal, which is the UK's net zero by 2050 target? I know that you share our concerns, Ben. What's the Reform Party policy on net zero? So 
we should all believe in the conservation of our planet, getting rid of plastics, reuse, recycle, reduce, be modest in how we live. And by the way, I think our generation, outside of, you know, I think we're much, much more conservative in the way that we use stuff because we were brought yeah. up in a recessionary environment, effectively. The millennials haven't got a flipping clue. They've lived the consumer age. It's by dispose of it. The carbon emissions created by that lot are much worse than anything that we created in our modest childhoods. But whether or not you believe in man-made climate change, the drive to net zero by 2050, as it's being practiced, is economic suicide. By the Treasury's own estimates, so this is Philip Hammond back in 2019, it would cost the United Kingdom 1.4 trillion. The Treasury has never got any estimate right or overestimated it. The 1.4 trillion is going to double at least. So we're looking at three trillion pounds of cost, in my view, to get the country to being carbon neutral. This is a country which produces less than 1% of global carbon emissions. And we're going to have to take on something approaching more than 100% of our existing national debt, which is already at astronomic historic levels, in order to deliver this target. You do not get to carbon neutrality by bankrupting the country and taxing it to the hilt. We need a measured approach to conservation. We have to ditch net zero. Barring some act of God or miracle, we are likely to see a fairly heavy conservative defeat probably in the autumn of this year. Out of the ashes, Ben, who would you like to see become the next Conservative leader? Or do you think we will see, as increasingly in other European countries, a new party of the right, be that reform or you know some other configuration? Because we're seeing some of the Conservatives, aren't we, the new con- so-called new Conservatives and so on. So who would be your choice for next Conservative leader? Actually, interestingly, over Christmas, we saw... France pushing through some very strict new migration laws, which was basically due to the parties of the right really putting pressure now. Is that the picture we're going to see, do you think? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that it's not far right. It's not right wing. It's commonsensical to wish to protect the integrity of your country. That's my starting position. I can't understand how suddenly wishing to have sovereign territory that is protected has suddenly become a preserve of the right wing. It's utter lunacy to suggest that. My advice, to the extent I've got any advice to the Conservative Party, is if they wish to put people like Reform UK out of business, they should get rid of Rishi Sunak now. Get in Mm -hmm. a genuine, someone who believes in the United Kingdom, who believes in sovereign territorial integrity, who believes in borders, who believes in low taxation, less state intervention, promotion of the private sector. Get them in now. Don't waste any more time. They nearly did it with Liz Truss. Her agenda was the right agenda. I don't care what people say. She was defenestrated by the Bank of England. They did not like her agenda. They targeted her and got rid of her. When she was made prime minister, I thought, right, that's me done with politics. Her policies are absolutely right. Rishi Sunak is all about more of the same, more of the same. And more of the same is just going to deliver more of the same results, which is massive national debt, massive taxation, stagnant GDP, massive immigration. So if the Tory party wants to do away with Reform UK, ditch Rishi, get in a genuine Conservative as leader now. 
on the quiet, are there yeah. any Tory MPs who might be interested in defecting to reform to find conservatism? So I used to think mistakenly that we should try and form some kind of alliance or you know, get genuine conservative MPs to join us. And I've given up on that, Alison. I've just given up on it because any genuine conservative still in the Conservative Party, in the wrong party, you know, I don't think they're going to get rid of Rishi Sunak. And I actually don't think they'll reform themselves even after the thumping they're likely to get in the general election. I think the one nation lot are going to take even more control of the party. And the narrative will be that they weren't left wing enough, that they weren't mm -hmm. on Labour's patch enough, and they need to pivot more that way. And it was a ridiculous centre-right lot in the ERG and all the other five groupings or five family groupings that they describe who undermine their electoral chances. That's how I think the narrative is going to be spun, to answer your question now. I suspect parties like Reform UK, as we've seen in Europe, are going to become part of the fabric of the United Kingdom. Finally, at the start of 2024, it can feel like our country is in a pretty bleak place. Ben, do you still have confidence in Britain? I do. I absolutely have confidence in Britain, and I don't think it's too late. We need to urgently cut taxes on the working classes. We need urgently to cut taxes on, on businesses and sole traders. We need urgently to promote our own domestic labor force and stop immigration. We need urgently, no one's talking about it, Alison, urgently to integrate those cultures that we've already got on our shores. We are asleep at the wheel. We, we just allow little silos to go on operating. We need to have a proper positive, progressive attitude towards integration. People have to understand our history. They have to be proud of our history. They have to recognize actually that on the whole, the British Empire was a force for good. We abolished slavery. We established human rights. We exported common law across the globe. We exported our modern industrial techniques across the globe for the betterment of mankind, that the United Kingdom is a fantastic country. We need that message being put forward. We need people to be proud of the Union Jack and for people not to be ashamed of feeling proud of the Union Jack. We were a great country. We are a great country. We have a great future. We need our political class to believe in us. They need to do the right thing by the United Kingdom. If they do it, we will have a fantastic future. We need to get on and do it. Ben, it's been a huge pleasure talking to you. You've cheered me up. As well, co-pilot Halligan will confirm, that seldom happens. Thank you thank so you, much. Alison. Thank you. Now on to our listener emails. Your messages sent to planetnormal at telegraph.co.uk. Please keep them coming, citizens of Planet Normal. Obviously, we've got lots about a post office scandal from Ace National. We have a good friend who suffered this injustice, was made bankrupt having lost his businesses, lost contact with family as they thought he was a criminal. Yet that awful specimen, Ed Davey, clings to his honour and job. Truly a rotten to the core country we live in. And M. Godinian says, I happen to know one of the families involved in the Horizon IT scandal. The sub-postmaster went from being the hub of the community to despair, alcoholism, marriage breakup, ill health and early death. He didn't live to know he was vindicated. I was talking to his daughter this afternoon. She cannot watch Mr. Bates versus the post office as it is too distressing for her. The post office Horizon scandal is beyond despicable. I really don't know where this scandal is going to end up. This could get very, very nasty. This is Kenneth. As a former professional auditor, I feel frankly frustrated that no one to my knowledge in this controversy has mentioned the role of the auditors 
If the Fujitsu accounting system was faulty, why didn't the auditors discover this straight away? The whole point of the auditing profession is to ensure that scandals like this and myriads of much lesser disasters don't happen, or if they do happen, they're discovered and put right very quickly. The answer, I fear, is that in practice, the forces of evil, including power hunger, greed and dishonesty, easily defeat the comparatively weak at a society level forces of honour and duty. The problem with the auditing profession is that the auditors are paid by their clients. It's like the police having their salaries paid by the criminals they're paid to catch. This is the reason why auditing scandals like the Carillion saga occur. One of my final columns of the year last year was actually about auditing and the lack of reform of our audit industry. And we'll put the link to that in the show notes to this episode. And from Nick Hill, there is an injustice within this great injustice. Out of the first tranche payment of 58 million compensation, only 12 million was paid out to around 550 postmasters. The lawyers and the funders took 46 million. So first we've got this from Stephen. While attention keeps growing over Fujitsu's faulty horizon program for the post office, I'm surprised to see no one pointing out that it was Fujitsu that also produced the disastrous patient record system Lorenzo for the NHS. This was abandoned in 2011 at a cost of £10 billion. I don't know if the government received any compensation for the Lorenzo fiasco, but this time around it most certainly should ensure Fujitsu pays out over the post office contract. And finally from Steve which is funny, though it's obviously a kind of dark humour under the circumstances. <laughs> the post office Fujitsu scandal is what we in the police called seagull syndrome. Fly into a job, poop all over it, and fly off in another direction. <laughs> <laughs> and on that bombshell, that's it from Planet Normal as we leave our sanctuary of sweet reason, our flying refuge of reason views. Email a week. It's Alison's turn. Let's give it to Kenneth, the professional auditor for giving us such a good picture. So, Kenneth, email us at planetnormal at telegraph.co.uk, put mug winner in the subject heading, give us your postal address, we'll send you that Planet Normal mug. And before we go, Alison, I've got to ask about the cat. <laughs> When's it arriving from Turkey? <laughs> what new pussycat? Allegedly in about 10 days on a private jet. <laughs> so... How much is this cat going to cost you? Yeah, well... <laughs> We'll get a Fujitsu auditor in just to hide the cost from himself, basically. So as we speed away from our beloved planet and the madness of planet Earth comes back into view, thanks as ever to our producers Isabel Bouchard, Cass Ho and Louisa Wells, we go into 2024 in fine fettle here on Planet Normal. Stay safe and in touch with us and with each other. Until next week, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM 
for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.